second Bible reading comes from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. Um, and if you want to use a pew Bible, you can find it on page 1224. <sighs> Thanksgiving and prayer. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God... And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Hannah, for reading God's word to us uh, this morning. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that it's inspired and it's given to us so that we might get to know you better. And Lord, I pray this morning for a mighty working of your Holy Spirit in our midst. That you will give us, Lord, the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and understanding. We really bless our time together. In Jesus' name, Amen. (coughs) Well, friends, uh, this morning we're going to look at this topic, uh, how... To pray for each other, and we heard this morning from Dan Dixon with the, with the beautiful kids' talk today. You can pray for lots of things. Uh, you can pray for a soccer ball, you can pray for a video game, you can pray for your favorite uh, football team that they will win and they won't. Uh, sometimes uh, <laughs> you might pray for other things in your life. There are lots of things that we can uh, we can pray for, and uh, what, what a what a wonderful privilege prayer really is. Um, and we can have a list of, uh, a shopping list as well, don't we, for prayer. Lord, give me this, give me that, give me something else, uh, uh, make, make, me, uh, make me a better person. There are all, all, lots of things we could be praying for, but uh, how really should we, we, we be praying for each other? And so this morning we're going to look at uh, this passage before us, not the entire text of 15 to 23. It's a fairly uh, sizable passage. I've divided this to 15 uh, to 18, particularly up to 18a. See, Paul has just completed one single sentence of about 204 words in length from verse 3 right through to verse 14. Imagine that, the scribe who was writing it, and Paul's going on, if you're a secretary, you're writing that one sentence and he keeps going, 150 words, 160 words, coming to 200 words, and you're still writing and say, Paul, please stop. Paul's not stopping there. He's so caught up in the Spirit of God. is working through him. One massive sentence that's been written, approximately 204 words. And we have looked at uh, this sentence at length so far in our study of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. 
And we have been, we have, where the Apostle Paul says, particularly from verses 3 uh, onwards, that we have been blessed by God with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Uh, mystically, I said, we, we move from earth to, to heaven uh, because we have fellowship with Christ in the heavenly realms. Somehow, how this takes place is something mysterious, it's something wonderful, because we read later on that Christ has been raised and is seated with, with God uh, at the right hand in the heavenly realms. And so there is this, this amazing union between God's people here on earth and what takes place also in heaven. And the God of heaven is involved with God's people here on earth. And this happens, I believe, through the promised Holy Spirit, where the Spirit of God uh, confirms our belief in Christ, adopted in Christ, sealed unto the day of eternity, and the Spirit of God, through the working of God's grace, somehow brings us into this mystical connection with Christ in heaven, who is now interceding for God's people. And we're going to unpack that later on as we work through uh, this text uh, next time. And so for this reason, well, Paul continues uh, to to give thanks, and he he continues to to expand on this. And here in verses uh, 15 to 23, uh, in this section, uh, Paul has has written, uh, sorry, let me come back, in verses 1 to uh, 14, Paul has written about our position in Christ, our status in Christ already, and now in 15 to 23, he's going to speak about prayer. And so we have noted so far that we have been chosen in Christ. We have been adopted in Christ. We have been redeemed in Christ. We have our inheritance in Christ. These are tremendous blessings that are tied up in the person of Jesus Christ, the eternal, almighty Son of God, Jesus. The one who became flesh, the one who left the splendor of heaven and came upon this earth. And so in Christ we are chosen, in Christ we are adopted, in Christ we are redeemed, in Christ we have our inheritance. And Paul gives praise for that, for all those blessings that, uh, that, that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we look at Ephesians uh, chapter, chapter 1, we have, we have John Stott who actually says, I can get this going, it's alright. John Stott who uh, makes the point, right. Ephesians 1 is in fact divided into two sections. First, that is Paul, he, he, he blesses God for having blessed us in Christ. And then he prays that God will open our eyes to grasp the fullness of this blessing. And I'd like us to see this text in the light of what Pastor has made, uh, state, says there. That he has blessed us in Christ. And now he prays that God will open our eyes to grasp the fullness of this blessing. And I hope that as we uh, work through this prayer by the Apostle Paul, it will also help us to be specific in our own prayers by the way in which we pray for each other. Paul says here, he remembers them regularly in prayer. Now I know, my, uh, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, that we all can do better in our prayer lives, don't we? I mean, 
this is not a guilt trip, right? This is not to say, oh, you should be praying more, you should be doing this. We, we, we know that, right? I should be praying more. Uh, perhaps, maybe you're a fantastic prayer and you don't have to be like that. But we can all perhaps increase in our, and, and, and do well with our prayers. But here what we see here is, the Apostle Paul is saying, is remembering them in their prayers regularly. He brings them before God. And I'd like us to see how wonderful it is to come before this God in prayer. What a wonderful privilege it is for Christians to be able to pray. Do we ever take prayer for granted? The fact is that we have a 24-7 access to the throne room of God in prayer. The line never gets cut off. It depends on what service you have with your mobile phone uh, service provider. If you, if you go to certain places and you make your mobile phone call, you're out of range and your mobile data doesn't come through and perhaps you can't make phone calls. Have you had that problem? Well, maybe, maybe you're in the best uh, supplier perhaps. <laughs> I've had that problem, right? But we don't have that problem when it comes to our prayer life. I don't need to call Telstra technician or someone else to come and fix my telephone line to God. Because I have a direct access to the God of heaven. And Paul is saying here, he's encouraging prayer and he's saying, I'm praying for you, I'm remembering you in my prayer. And I hope that as we look at this prayer, that it will encourage us to pray more frequently and naturally. And also to be specific in our prayer life. See, prayer is communicating with God. As Christians, we can pray to God through His Son Jesus at any time, anywhere, any place. Is that right? Anytime, anywhere, any place. We have direct access to the presence of God. And, and prayer is conversing, it's communicating with God. That's what it is. You see, this includes speaking out loud and talking to God. This includes also silent prayer. We can pray silently because God knows our thoughts. You see, God is loving, He's compassionate, and He listens to our prayers. The hymn writer put it so well, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in Prayer. Joseph Scriven, the man who suffered so much in his life, he says, what a privilege it is to be able to carry everything to this God in prayer. And so prayer is very much part of the Christian life. And it is also and must be very much part of our church life. And the Apostle Paul prays for this church. He remembers them in his prayers. He says here, verse 15, for this reason... Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. He begins by giving thanks. Friends, that's the first place to start, isn't it? Giving thanks, adoration, praise, thanks. And he says here, I have heard of your faith. There are two things that Paul gives thanks for in this, uh, in the, as we look at this text here. For their faith... And secondly, for their, what's it in the text? For their love for each other. Look at verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard 
for, for your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Why is Paul giving thanks to God for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, Paul gives thanks because these people have put their faith in Jesus. You see, remember when we started the book of Ephesus, I gave you a background of the place and where these, the, the, the people have come out, how God has, has, has turned these, Christian, these people and brought them out of idol worship into Jesus. Faith. Right? There is a faith that is going on. Okay? Uh, and, and, and this faith is in Jesus. You see, what does it mean to have faith in Jesus? Have you asked yourself that question? What does it mean for me to put my faith in Jesus? And the other question that comes up in, in perhaps in our minds is, why should I put my faith in Jesus? How do I know that Jesus is the right person to put my faith in? Why trust in this Jesus? Who is he anyway? See, I had to ask myself those questions. When my friend shared the gospel with me about Jesus, I had to ask myself those questions. As I've said to you before, I've never been in a Sunday school, I've never been in kids' church, never been in youth group in my life. <laughs> and when I started hearing these things, I had to question, ask myself, who is this Jesus? Why should I put my faith in him? And Paul here is saying, he's giving thanks because rather than worshipping the idol goddess there in Ephesus, God has now changed the lives of these people and brought them out of darkness into his marvelous light and given them salvation in Jesus and they have put their faith in Jesus. You see, it means this, friends. To have faith in Jesus is to acknowledge that he is the Savior and the Lord. And Paul will unpack this later in the passage. It means saying, Lord, I know I have sinned against you. I know I need a savior. I know I can't save myself. I have turned from myself and my sin in repentance and by faith. I have put my hope, my faith and my trust in you. Lord, you have paid the price for my sins at the cross. You see, to be a Christian doesn't mean that my baptism doesn't make me a Christian. We heard that this morning. By being at church doesn't make me a Christian. I have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ by acknowledging that he is my savior and place my faith in Christ. What's the phrase I'm looking for? Come on, you can complain. In Christ. Huh? One of those solar statements, isn't it? You know that. We've done a series in the evening sermons on that. In Christ alone. That's what it is. And Jesus is the one that you and I need. He's, he's the one who's, who's able to give us everlasting life. It is faith in Jesus that, that helps me and gives me the assurance of life in heaven. I mean, Iman was talking about that in his testimony this morning. What if he was to die? I mean, not, not just Iman, for all of us here. Often I think about that. What, what, what would it be when my eyelids close one day? I was singing to myself last week and I said to Rose, I was singing, you know I sing, I, I can. I was singing a hymn, Abide with me. I was singing it to myself. Abide with me, fast falls the even tide. 
You know that hymn. When the darkness deepens, Lord, with me abide. And I was reflecting what it means to abide in this Christ. What it means, my dear friends, when my eyelids close one day, that it will be in heaven with Jesus because of my faith in whom? And because of your faith in whom? Come on. In Jesus. See, that's what we have here in the passage. And Paul is saying, I am giving thanks to God because of your faith in Jesus. And I want to encourage you, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, however shaky you might be this morning about that faith and trying to comprehend the depth of that faith, that you will be able to pray and give thanks to God for each other for the faith that we have in Jesus Christ, that he will abide with me through the darkest times and through the good times, always, and lead me to heaven. That's what it is. Paul is saying, giving thanks to Jesus, to, to, to God for their faith in Jesus. Put your trust in, in him. Give thanks to him. And, and, because, and, then, and then, then Paul joins this. this. There's a triad kind of thing here. Faith, hope, and love. You see that ex- later on in this passage. And, and Paul says, I also want to give thanks to God for your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Why their love, friends? He begins to thank the Lord for their love for each other. This gospel has transformed their lives and this was evident by their love for one another. The most significant manifestation of faith in Jesus is the outworking of love. A church that does not have love is a cold and a callous place. But when a church has been touched, when a life has been touched by Jesus Christ, there is God's love that is poured into our hearts. Is that clear? Paul speaks of that in Romans. It speaks to me that I need to understand and to accept my brothers and sisters in Christ in love. That I need to know what it means to, to love beyond. For love covers a multitude of sins. And when the Spirit of God touches you, it changes your cold and my callous heart to a heart of love. Yes, it is a work in progress. Of course it is a work in progress. I can't say that I love everybody perfectly. I can't say that I love my wife perfectly, even though I love her so much. I've said to her, dear, I love you so much, but only Jesus loves you the most. I, I can't love you the way Christ has loved you. That's not an excuse. You see? That is the love that God gives to us. A love that, that I must open up my heart and say, Lord, flood my heart with love. Take away that selfishness. Take away the weeds that, that causes me to cause dissension and hatred and everything else. And ask myself, Lord, it's not about me. It's about you. Every time I, I, I come to this pulpit, even this morning, I said, Lord, it's not about me. It's about you and your people and your preciousness of your grace. And so Paul is saying here, this is love. 
I was listening, I was almost tempted to play a clip this morning, but I wouldn't, by Black Eyed Peas. Have you heard that group? I actually listened to the whole song on YouTube. Where is the love? Where is the love? <laughs> it's quite a telling song. Some of you young people will know that. Or maybe others know that as well. I see in our age group, you might, for us young people, we would know that song quite well. Um, no, it's okay. Black Eyed Peas, and he says, where is the love? Where is the love? People hurting, people crying, people dying. Where is the love? See, God in his sovereign grace has transformed the lives of these people and their lives are displaying a love for one another. A love is the hallmark of the Christian faith, my dear friends. Love is the, whole, the, the hallmark of, of the Christian. In Jesus we have that love. For the Lord said this, didn't he? The Lord said this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. That's what Jesus said. See, you cannot manufacture such a love. It cannot be manufactured. When we trust Jesus, things begin to take place in our lives. And love begins to transform us. Love that can transform a marriage. A love that can transform your relationship with your son or your daughter. I'm reading currently a book in preparation for Ephesians, chapter 2. A book from, uh, on, on biography of John Newton. I, I just can't put the book down. I was getting there and I started reading and reading. Uh, the book that was given to us from our, uh, my daughter recently. Uh, our daughter. Uh, it talks about the life story of, of John Newton. And, and, and th- there was no love between John Newton and his father. And it causes so much of separation and, 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 and terribleness in, in this young man's life that he lived a wild life. You see, what a sad thing that is. I think one of the major problems in our society, in our culture today, and right here in Australia, is the issue of love. Where there are broken families, no love in the home. No love for our young people. Brokenness, and so it's displayed on the streets. Violence, terror, with everything else. Why is it? See, the gospel of love can transform the city of Melbourne, yeah? The gospel of Christ's love can transform your life and mine. Can transform the most dearest marriage of all and transform it to a loving relationship. That's what love is. And Paul speaks of that kind of love. As we keep moving here, very quickly, we see in this passage, we see in this passage a Trinitarian concept, don't we? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is, is clearly mentioned. It's clearly mentioned here in this passage. The Father of glory, the Spirit of wisdom, the Father of, our, uh, of, of the, the God of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me keep going. The Spirit of wisdom and revelation. Paul says here in verse, uh, I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 16, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know me better. You see, the reference to the Spirit here, I believe, is to the reference to the Holy Spirit. The commentators make that point. 
I think the reference here is to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is to be our ongoing teacher. The Holy Spirit is to be our instructor. And here he's saying, let the spirit of wisdom. What is wisdom? What is wisdom? The psalmist says this. Psalm 111 verse 10 says, there on PowerPoint you see, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. What we see in this psalm, dear friends, is that the Lord is not merely the end of wisdom. It's not the end of wisdom, but he is, is also the beginning of wisdom. See, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And fear in this context is not the fear one has of an enemy. The fear here is that of honor and love for the Lord. It is fear that is manifested in reverence for Him. Um, You know, my parents are loving parents. I thank God for them. But my mother, man... My father, I could get away with any, kind of anything. He uh, talked to him and he gave me anything. My mother was not like that. Wow, she is so strict. I mean, I still I mean, I see them every time. I talk with them. And still I am like, hmm. When my mom speaks, and I think, oh, what are you saying, mom? There's a strictness there. There's a, still a sense of fear. Now, do I... Really, am I scared of her? In one sense, yes, but in other sense, I'm not really, because she's my mother and I, I, I love her for who she is. Right? There is that loving relationship that we have. But there's also a sense that fear has been one sense as well. But it doesn't make me a lesser son because of that. And what we see here in this passage is that God is to be feared. That doesn't mean that I, I, have, to be, I have to run away from him. With fear. No, no, no. It means there is a reverential fear. There is a godly sense of honor and a love and a respect for this God. And Paul is, uh, is, is, saying, that, is saying here in this text, Paul is praying that this wisdom would increase through the work of the Holy Spirit within them. Wisdom is the right application of knowledge. And in this case, it is the application of the knowledge of God and who He is in our lives. How does wisdom, God's wisdom, um, what, what, how does that um, affect your life and mine when we have the wisdom of God coming through? How do I live? How do I serve? How do I honor God? How do I make decisions that pleases Him? Wisdom. There's more to this as we look at in this passage. The spirit of wisdom is the application of the knowledge of God in our lives. And Paul is praying here the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. What are we to make of this revelation? Let me quickly go through. Is Paul saying that we need to wait for further revelation? Is Paul saying that we need an extra canonical book in the scriptures? Is Paul saying we need extra some kind of revelation, God told me this thing today and he told me this thing tomorrow and that thing. No, the revelation is given to us in the scriptures. He's not praying for new extra revelation. The canon of the Bible is closed with 66 books. But what we see here in this prayer is for the Holy Spirit to illuminate our minds to the word of God. That is, you open the Bible, you read it, and sometimes you can't understand everything that's going on and you pray, 
of spirit. Help me. Help me to understand this word. Help me to, 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 to accept and to live and to understand and shape my life in this word. Illuminate my heart and my mind. Give me enlightenment of this text as it were. And theologians, and I won't go into this uh, at this point in time, they call it the work of the illumination of the Holy Spirit. That is the Holy Spirit applying, taking the word of God, applying it, and sometimes it hits you, doesn't it? <laughs> you look at the text and, wow, man, that's like a thunderbolt, it hit me hard today. So Paul is saying, let, let the Spirit of, uh, do this work, and, and, and the goal here, look at the goal. The goal Paul has in mind in praying, verse 17, the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge, <coughs> in the knowledge of him. That's the goal. To know God better. You see, there's a difference in knowing someone and uh, knowing about someone and knowing someone. When I was a teenager, I remember cutting newspaper articles about famous cricketers. I never came across any Scottish cricketers at the time. <laughs> I thought I'd put that one in. Uh, but I, I, did, I, did, um, I did follow a lot of cricket. I was crazy. I had a scrapbook. I wish I had brought, brought it to Australia. I had a scrapbook and I cut all the, the, the paper cuttings of all the famous cricketers. I had their, their picture and I had on the other side all their stats. So I knew exactly how many wickets they had taken, how many runs. I knew exactly how they bowled, all that kind of stuff. And that scrapbook was really special. I had the photos, the stats, all of batsmen bowlers. The point is, I knew about them, but I never really knew any one of them personally. That's sad, isn't it? <laughs> never knew them personally. Now there will be some year this uh, it's um, some uh, year this morning you may know a lot about Justin Bieber. Uh, you heard about Justin Bieber? Come on, Come on raise your hands. You know, sure you do. I'm sure all of us do. Right. right. You, you must have heard about Justin Bieber and maybe you're following everything that Justin Bieber does. Anytime he comes here, oh, before he goes crazy. Right. Or maybe you've heard of Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift? Okay, maybe Ed Sheeran. I don't know. In my era, you probably heard about Jim Reeves. You should know him. Anyway, right. you might know everything about... Justin Bieber, for example. What he eats, what color his hair is, I, I have no idea, but you might know. But I suspect, I suspect, that none of us may know him or the others personally, and unless you do know them. I don't know. But if you do, let me know, because I like to get to know them as well. <laughs> That's called networking, friends. It's very important. Uh, rich and famous, anyway. So we may know about them, but the, the point here that Paul is saying is, he's talking to Christians and he's saying, he's saying, I want you to know God better. Paul is talking to Christians here and I, and I ask myself the question, why? Why would he pray this prayer that they might know God better? Why didn't he pray for something else? Surely they know God. Dr. Montgomery Boyce, the well-known theologian, pastor and commentator, recalls a question and answer session he had with a group of postgraduate students. And this is the question that was put to, uh, put to him. By the students. What do you think is the greatest need for the evangelical church in the U.S.? Now we can apply it to the church in Australia. And perhaps other places as well. Dr. Montgomery Boyce replied. 
I think that the greatest need of the evangelical church today is for professing Christians to really know God. Very telling, isn't it? Jeremiah 9.23 Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his, <coughs> in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boast, boast in this. What is that? What is that? That he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Let him boast in knowing me. Knowing God. You see, J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, he has a chapter, chapter 3. It's titled, Knowing and Being Known. Uh, I recommend that book, Knowing God. It's a great read. I'm sure many of you perhaps have read it. Right? And, uh, and, and, and Packer asked this question, what were we made for? And his answer is this. His answer is that we were made to know God. And then Packer in this chapter suggests three things, three ways to know God. He says, knowing God involves a matter of personal dealing. That is, just like we acquaint ourselves with our friends, we get to know God by acquainting ourselves with Him. Secondly, knowing God is a matter of personal involvement. You get involved, try to understand, read, and, and, and get to know God at that level. Knowing God is a matter of grace. That is, the initiator is always God. And so, friends, the prayer here is to know God better. My question to you this morning is, do you know him in the first place? That's my question. Do you know him in the first place? Do you know him as your father? Do you know him as the God of mercy, the God of grace, the God of compassion, the God of truth, the God of righteousness, the God who is exalted above every other God? Do you know him? If you don't, then I plead with you on the basis of God's word, through the power of his spirit, that you would know this God today personally and intimately through Jesus. That's the first thing. As I wind this sermon up this morning, the second thing is, for those of us who know God, how well are we getting to know Him better? How well are we getting to know Him better? See, Paul is saying, he wants us to know this God. Paul's prayer is that they would know him better. That they would know this God. This God who created them. This God who's made you in his image. This God who has redeemed you in his son. This God who has adopted you as his children. This God who is your refuge and your strength. This God of grace. Do you know him? Are you getting to know him? When I say you, including myself. Do I sit at his feet and say, Lord, help me to get to know you better. Help me to really get to know you.
And you know what the amazing thing, it amazes me. This is mind-blowing, at least for myself. I, I, I can't imagine how good and gracious God is that is willing to let himself be made known. Have you thought about that? How good this God is that is willing to let himself be made known to you? That's what Paul is saying. I want to know He's praying. And my prayer for us, I'm going to close now. My prayer for us as a congregation is, and I'm sure as our leadership team here, I always pray and we pray for the spiritual health of this church. Nothing else. That we will be a church that continues to get to know this God better. And invest, invest your time in getting to know this God, friends. Put your time into it. Your energy into, into knowing who this God is for yourself. And you will be richly blessed by the Lord himself. John Wesley, of course. John Wesley, he was, uh, he was preaching. Preaching, but he actually didn't know uh, the, the gospel that he was preaching. He didn't know, know Christ himself. Until one day, one day he, he, he went uh, and uh, he, he heard a message. And as, as, he, as he heard this message, he, he said, John Wesley's heart, he said, that evening he, he reluctantly attended a meeting in uh, Aldersgate. And someone read from Luther's preface to the Epistle of Romans. And about 8.45 p.m., this is what Wesley says, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt, Wesley says, my heart strangely warmed. Ah, I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and of death. Know this God. If you don't know this God, there will be people up here this morning who are willing to pray with you, to lead you to this God. And to those of us who know this God, may it be your prayer and mine that we get to know him better. That's one way that we can pray for each other. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the privilege that you give us to get to know you, Lord. That you're an amazing God, a loving God. Father, I pray your spirit to work freely in our lives today. We go out of this place with a great desire to pray for each other, to give thanks for faith, thanks for love, for the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of revelation, to know our God better. In Jesus' name, amen.